Welcome to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. The murder of George Floyd by former police officer Derek Chauvin inspired many to call for defunding or even abolishing the police. But what would abolishing the police actually look like? And would our communities be safer or would there be chaos in the streets? Well, the business of being black today is abolishing the police or not. Please welcome the senior pastor at McCarthy Memorial Christian Church, Reverend Eddie Anderson. Hi, Reverend. Hey, Tammy. Thanks for having me. Retired LAPD Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey. Hi, Sergeant Dorsey. Hi, Tammy. Consultant and artist at AVS Consulting, Ana Jelsey Velasco Sanchez. Hello. Hi. And the founder of Uncommon Sense Media Group and a member of Project 21, Craig Deleuze. Hi, Craig. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you so much for being here. The first question annually on our show is, or I should say traditionally on our show, is why should Black people care? This is the business of being Black, so why, Reverend, should Black people care if the police are abolished or not? Because a recent article said that one in 62 Black people in California have been incarcerated, which means that the system is not working for Black people. Oh, well, that was a simple answer. You said one in 62 Black people? Yes. One in 62. I'm thinking that's not that bad, or is it? I think it's disproportionate to our population in California. We're only 9% of the population. But we have a there it is. All right. Yeah, there it is. Sergeant Dorsey, why should Black people care if the police are abolished? Well, I say apathy kills, literally. And so it's important for us to get involved and get engaged. Craig, you got it. Why should Black people care? Well, understand that, first of all, the primary function of government is to protect the citizens from enemies, both foreign and domestic. But also, it's important to understand that, that not only are Blacks more likely to be incarcerated, they're also more likely to be victims of crime. And Anna, Anna Jelsey, why? Well, because I'm in agreement with what everybody has said, but I'll also add that whether you are Black or you are mentally disabled, um, or you have uh, physical disabilities, you are Latino, indigenous, um, you are more likely to be harmed if not lose your life at the hands of law enforcement. We should all care. So I wanna go back over this question just a teeny bit because I, I, I hear you all saying why black people should care, but I'm wondering, does that mean you are for or against abolishing the police? Oh, oh, cause I didn't hear that in any of the answers. Sergeant Dorsey. Well, absolutely. I'm against abolishing police, obviously. I mean, I spent 20 years of my life being just that. But there's a certain segment of society, I believe, that would certainly like to see there be fewer police officers or no police officers. And if you have that sort of a system, what replaces it? And so while certain officers cut up in, in black and brown communities and they comport themselves very differently in uh, white communities, there's a process on every police department to deal with police misconduct. And so that's what needs to be addressed. Anna Jelsey. I'm absolutely for abolishment of uh, all law enforcement and for the closing of all prisons. Wow, Craig. I am not for uh, the, the removal of, of police. Uh, let's be honest, as I said in my opening, uh, African-Americans tend to be the greatest victims of crimes, which means that removing the police means that there are few, going to be fewer opportunities uh, for them to be able to be protected. I'm not saying that there's not some challenges and not some concerns or things we, that need to be addressed, but getting rid of the police department is saying that, you know, I had a headache, so maybe I should cut off my head. Oh, Re Reverend Anderson. I'm absolutely for abolishing uh, the police and replacing it with something different. We need to reimagine public safety. When we hit the streets in 2020 with Black Lives Matter, we said defund the police and invest in the community and abolishing the police and creating something new is exactly how you do that. So then if there were no police, would crime in Black communities rise? Would that happen, Craig? Oh, well, we've already seen it. Uh, Major cities throughout the country, uh, at following the George, uh, George Floyd riots, uh, they, they defunded or significantly reduced the funding for their police. They additionally, in many cases, went about uh, taking laws that were, that were serious crimes or were felonies, uh, decriminalizing them, and then releasing, releasing uh, convicted uh, felons out onto the streets. And we've seen an astronomical increase in crime in those areas. 
not just violent crime, uh, murders, uh, as well as property crime, thefts. And I'm sure we've all seen the videos of people just riding into stores or walking into stores and walking out with handfuls of, uh, handfuls of, uh, of clothing and other items. Um, the fact is, is that if you don't have, if there are no consequences for violating the law, then you're going to have a segment of the population. It's a small segment, but you're going to have a segment of the population who is going to then uh, victimize the rest of the population. A lot of people, uh, you know, civilians say there is no punishment for police, and that poses a problem, too. But I guess we don't have to get into that right now. Uh, Sergeant Dorsey, would there be more crimes if there were no police? I absolutely uh, believe that crime would go up. I mean, crime is already going up. The statistics show that in Atlanta recently, uh, homicides were up 50%. In Minneapolis, 89%. Uh, carjacking in Minneapolis was up by 301%. And so we know that there are bad doers out there who will prey on vulnerable uh, populations of the community. And so we have to have a system in place to deal with that if and when it happens. And with regards to officers being held accountable, uh, that needs to happen too. And there's a process and a, and, a, and a procedure to ensure that that happens. But again, if we don't get involved and get engaged, a closed mouth doesn't get fed. So if you are saying, Craig and, and Sergeant Dorsey, you're saying that uh, that crime is going up. It is going up. So if it is going up, then how do how do we reconcile that? We have well, police you, now. You reconcile they have not the, been limited, but crime is still going up. Well, no, actually, you've seen in, in, in major cities across the country, you have seen significant cuts uh, in police budgets. You have seen a, a, literally a defunding of law enforcement. And you, then you've seen an increase in crime so significant that in some of those cities like Los Angeles and like in Minneapolis, they're now calling for to increase or, or put back the funding that goes into law enforcement. The other thing that you're starting to see is this movement that is called, quote unquote, smart on crime. Uh, where the goal is, is to try and decrease the number of African-Americans who are being arrested by redefining crimes, taking things that were crimes, making the minor crimes, and then releasing people from prison. And yet we're seeing that in 70% of the cases, these folks are recommitting or they're, they're, they're committing crimes once again. You've seen instance after instance of individuals who've been arrested and released the same day with no bail, committed a second crime, been re arrested, released, uh, once again, no, no bail, no consequences. Um, this is what happens when you do not have law and order. When there are no consequences for breaking the law, you have people breaking the law. Reverend Anderson, jump in here. So I want to just say, when we say abolish the police, people start getting this image of the purge, as if like people can run around and start breaking glasses and killing people all, all crazy. Abolition is a problem. Process, right? When Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth and Harry Tubman did abolition of the slavery system, they rebuilt it with something new. And so when we say get a box of police, we're saying reimagine what public safety can look like in our city and in our streets. Words have words have meaning, Reverend. And, so, and abolish yeah, means to get rid of. Abolish means to get rid of, absolutely. So we're going to get rid of the police department as it stands now and create something new and put it in its place. Look at any police scorecard. LAPD, police scorecard, 34%. How, how, about, how, about, we, how about we create something new before we abolish what is currently in place? You have to remove it, right? So put a hiring freeze. Fire all police citizens in New York and in New York, New Jersey, and then rehire them and figure out who do we need to be here. Recreate a system of health, of care, and mental care for those who are disabled on the streets. Give our young people jobs. I know right here at my church, we just don't talk about a defunding the police. We actually take care of our community. So we have 20 gang members that come to our church every single Tuesday and Thursday. We give them life skills, we give them job training things, and they don't commit crime. I had a gang member say to me the other day, and in class, I, Pastor, I, I wouldn't go I rob somebody, but because you brought me in and you invested in me, I decided not to rob them. And I got a job at a warehouse, and now I'm working a job. So we know what's. I'm not against. I'm not against any of that, but there's a certain segment of the population who are simply going to take who who are going to take advantage of others, right? Who, if you once again decriminalize the crime, if there is no consequences, they are going to continue to commit crimes. And, and my big concern for the black community is this: is that if you look at the data and the statistics, people tend to victimize their own. That means white whites tend to more victimize whites. 
Latinos tend to more victimize Latinos. Asians, Asians, and guess what? That means that with African-Americans, we, we tend to be victimized more by any other group than any other group by African-Americans. So as, as your goal to- as your I, want, goal I want Anna Josie to uh, get in here. Uh -huh. well, anyway, my, my, my point being is that we have to be as just as concerned about black crime victims as we do about blacks who are, are being arrested for committing crimes. Anna Jelsey? Thank you. So I think there are actually a few points that have been made, and I'm going to try and as succinctly as possible address them. First is I would love to hear which cities we're referring to that have defunded their police departments, because my understanding that no cities have actually defunded their police departments. And where there's more... Um, where in red states versus blue states, where there's often more funding and larger police departments, they are actually seeing just as much violence, if not more. Right. So there's an interesting uh, dichotomy being created that that's not actually real. No. That's I'm just gonna put a few more points in first, Craig. Okay. The other thing is, um, you know, there's 11 million. I think it's 11 million crimes per year on average. Only about 20,000 of those, since people tend to go to the worst case scenario, only about 20,000 of those crimes are actually murders. The solve rate for those is 61%. Uh, any other field, if you had a 40% failure rate, we would have a serious conversation. Yeah. So knowing that there's that, and knowing that that's only, that's what, 20% of all of the crimes in the country, the ones that have even lower rates are actually the ones that make up the bulk of crimes that we're talking about. All of those lower level crimes, those people that Craig is referencing that cycle in and cycle out, they are people who are being charged with things like drug possession um, and usage. And so it's just, they're very much lower level crimes that make up the majority of those that fill our prisons and that are facing arrest. And just so to answer your question, New York cut $1 billion Craig, let me let you respond to, to what Anna Yossi okay. just said. Yeah, New York cut $1 billion for, from their budget. Uh, they saw in August of 2021, they saw uh, murders were up 50%. Chicago, uh, they cut four hundred. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack, and the business of being black today is abolishing the police. Now, before we left, Anna Jelsey says that the numbers are hyperbole when it comes to crime because of defunding the police. She even goes as far to say that no state has defunded the police, whereas Craig says uh, New York has. Talk about it. Well, exactly. So you've got New York City has, has basically cut a billion dollars from its police funds. Uh, they've seen 130% increase in shootings. Uh, uh, murders are even up 50%. The city of Chicago, while they while the mayor said she didn't support the idea of defunding the police, they cut over 400 officers. 400 positions were cut, and uh, they've seen 87 shootings and an increase in carjackings are up like 135%. Los Angeles, California, cut $150 million from their budget. Uh, in 20, just in 2020 alone, they recorded over 300 homicides. It was up 25% from the year before, and it's up again in 2021. Milwaukee cut 60 positions, uh, as well as their budget for the following year was to cut another 120. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but these are all major cities that have all defunded the police, and all of them have seen a significant increase uh, in, uh, in violent crime. And not just violent crime, but crime in general. Sergeant Dorsey, he's talking about your city, L.A., but can we actually uh, equate these crimes to defunding uh, the police's budgets, or could it be the pandemic and the, uh, the place that we are in in America financially? Could that be uh, the, the cause of the rise in crime? It's hard to say exactly what, uh, you know, is responsible for the rise in crime. I can tell you this, I know to be true, having spent 20 years in an LAPD uniform working patrol, is that when officers are reprimanded or when they uh, get butthurt <laughs> about a particular situation, they will uh, be slow to respond to radio calls. Uh, crimes may not be handled uh, the way that uh, normally they would be because officers are rebelling. We've heard the term blue flu. Police officers in patrol can make a police captain and ultimately a police chief look really bad. But while we're talking about numbers, let's let's understand what that really translates to in terms of consequences and how it affects people day to day. Here on the LAPD, when our budget was cut, uh, resources and specialized units uh, that were uh, in place to combat certain crimes uh, ended. Uh, never in the history of the Los Angeles Police Department could you not walk into a police station lobby. Uh, that's over. Police department uh, lobbies were closed 
no longer being available and accessible. If you have a victim who's out and needs to duck in someplace real quick for some safety or uh, consult with a police officer, that can't happen. Uh, recruitment is down in LAPD particularly as it relates to Black folks, and I'm very sensitive to that. I even had a conversation with my police chief, Mike Moore, about what it would look like to get more people who look like me on this department if he had an appetite to do that, and that's a whole nother conversation. And so access, resources, services are affected when you start pulling money out of police budgets, and it affects black and brown folks disproportionately. White folks in the uh, good parts of town, uh, south, north of the Santa Monica Freeway, everybody understands what I say, north of the Santa Monica Freeway is a different LAPD than south of the Santa Monica Freeway. Those kinds of needs and resources are not uh, left wanting the same way it is in South Central when you start talking about defunding. And then of course there was the regret that came with that. And so then monies went right back and what they did with it, we don't know. Interesting. I have to say, um, the LAPD is trying to recruit African-American and minority police officers. I have a radio show in Los Angeles, and uh, they advertise heavily on my radio show. And Chief Michael Moore has come onto the station to uh, recruit African-Americans. So um, they're trying to do something, Sergeant Dorsey, something. Well, listen, you know, Mike Moore is a politician, and he's a savvy police chief. He and I uh, grew up on the department together Uh I came on in 1980. He came on about seven months after me in the first part of 1981. And so he knows what to say. But for real, for real, they don't have an appetite to get people on the department like me. When I came on LAPD in 1980, they they hired uh, numerous uh, blacks and females because of a consent decree, because they were forced to. And so just like LAPD was able to figure out how to get black folks on in 1980 and 85, going forward, they could do that now if they wanted to. Blacks make up 9% of the LAPD. It's predominantly Hispanic and, uh, and, and white right now. And so while Michael Moore might come on your station and say all the right stuff, I'm here to tell you, for real, for real, he doesn't have an appetite to do that. They are still asking black folks how many bubbles are in a bar of soap. I have young people come to me all the time who are in that process, have been trying to get on LAPD, some for years without any real success. So that perhaps this could be even more of a reason to abolish the police. Although I must say, Los Angeles, you mentioned 9% are on, 9% of African-Americans are on the police force at LAPD, uh, but there are only 9% of African-Americans in Los Angeles with an 11 million population. Reverend Anderson? Yes, I mean, I, I think the part of the problem with the police department that I have, um, I, I'm a reverend. So Michael Moore, when he first got put in as chief of police, he had a meeting with the with the clergy. We said, you know, your badge represents trauma for black community. Can you admit that your badge represents trauma and, and give a statement? You know, Michael Moore told us. He said, can you write the statement for me? So what does that what does that mean to me? That means you don't have an awareness of what harm you perpetuate in the community. Therefore, if you abolish the police, if you remove uh, the police and create something new in its position, I'm Reverend not Anderson. You keep saying create something new. What yes. new are That's we going true. to create? What what is it? What is this thing? What is this mythical this. thing that we're creating? I'm glad you asked it. When we talk about public safety, we have multiple ways in which we can have public safety. So let's bring in intervention workers and make sure they are doing intervention with, with drug, with hard crimes, with gang-related crimes. Let's put in trauma centers into our communities that actually take care of folks. Let's make sure our mental health care uh, workers are going out with people when people homelessness. But if somebody just robbed my house, Reverend Anderson, who am I going to call? Absolutely. So we can create a, res a emergency response. Don't call a social worker. That's who you're going to call. And re responding. We've seen this in Oakland, right? Emergency response team that Cat, 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 uh, Sister Cat has created in Oakland, right? With that, they do an emergency response team that they come. If you get something that's going on in your community, it's needed emergency response. We send out a tactical team. I'm not saying we don't need people who know how to use guns and be in the community. Yes, we can create a tactical team. If there's a violent crime, people can shoot. And by all means, I don't want your grandma responding to that crime. But we can have a new uh, public safety that is trained and understands trauma, understands care, understands how to make that work. Right now, the system as it as it stands, when you say blue lives matter, when you say uh, people, there's a blue, a code of silence in the police department. If a, a, a department has over uh, saturated its usefulness, then I say restart the whole thing and create something new.
And so let me just ask him, Tammy, real quick. Yeah. So when you bring in these intervention workers and these mental health workers, when they start cutting up, <laughs> when they start violating whatever policy they may or may not have, how do you deal with that? Because I'm not saying we couldn't do that in addition to, but you certainly can't mm -hmm. do it instead of. Right. And well, exactly. And that's that's the point is, is that it, defunding the police, a lot of these things that he's talking about are, are good ideas and things that need to be addressed. But that, a lot of that comes through training or retraining officers or making it a part of the training that they get as they come through. But Craig, right you now, cannot you retrain the heart. Who, you cannot sorry? retrain. You cannot retrain the heart or the intentions of a person. Absolutely. Well, now, now, here's the thing. You're going to get people to push back when you come when you come across with the assumption that that your goal, or in this case, you're talking about law enforcement, that they are evil, that is their goal to do harm to black folks. And I think that that is just an injustice. But uh, black folks can have that assumption in the community. Black right? people can have that assumption. Can't and they're going to have the lead. But here's my point. Come on anybody now. We talk about who, black anybody people. who is sent to enforce the law. They're going well, let me clarify. They're going to have that assumption if the leaders in their community are telling them that that's the case. And that's a big part of the problem. You've got both, you've got- That is not true, Craig. And, and you know it's not true. telling them this. Craig, no, listen, that is not true. No me, one's telling black people that police are not good for them. Black people are and have not? been for decades, for centuries, black people have feared the police for personal reasons and their own experiences, not because mm -hmm. someone has told them that. We, and, and let me and let me let media me has done nothing but exacerbate. There are, for example, for example, there are in sheer numbers there are more whites who are unarmed whites who are shot by police than blacks. Yet you never see it reported in the media whenever a white person is shot by the police. You only see it when it's a black person shot by the police. That's not true. That's not true because I've reported I, personally I, on many. I, 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 I literally monitor the news and law enforcement and firearm related issues. That's what I do for a living, and I can tell you right now that is wholly the truth. That is what, not But true. what I, I think I, I what you're been... not understanding here, though, Craig, is first of all, that's at a much lower rate. And also, not much lower. Um, also, when we talk about black people and their experience, I'm not just talking about police officers murdering black people. I'm talking about how black people are treated by police. And that is an experience that white people don't share with black people. There is a reason why when a police officer is driving behind you as a black person, you freeze up. There is a reason why there is video of a young little black boy who runs and hides behind a car when he sees a police officer coming. The little black boy ain't watching no news. And so, I, I, and I'm saying he's between the ages of six and eight, and he runs and hides behind the police, uh, behind uh, a, a car because he sees the police pass. That is experience. That is not because well, somebody told I, him the I, police I would were say, bad. I would say that, that I say would, I would say that is learned. I would say that is something that is passed on That's to not him learned. by on his now, parents, Craig, by his be, older brothers and older sisters. I, I grew up in Richmond, California. Right. I live right now in South. Oh, my Carolina, goodness. Then Florida you should today. know better than anyone. But, 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 but what I am telling me right you is now, Greg? Is, what I'm telling you is that is not my experience. OK, so that's not your experience. But that doesn't mean there that are many that's people for whom that is not their the experience. I, mean, I, I thought I thought the program was about, you know, we don't all see things the same. We don't all have the same experiences. So acting like and communicating like there's only one black experience is not exactly consistent with that. But then no, there's, so there's a disconnect. So let's, let's be honest. Let's be honest. <laughs> let's hold that thought. Let's let's hold that thought. Um, and I will say, Craig, I've not had a bad experience with police officers either. Um, uh, so my experience is your experience. But I do understand where it comes from. Let's take a quick break. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack. And the business of being black for me is eating a healthy yet delicious meal. America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh, is here to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's the part you love. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. And look, 
There's something for everyone, ranging from family-friendly to fit and wholesome and even, yep, veggie. HelloFresh has tasty and nutritious meals that are sure to please everyone. Now, HelloFresh isn't just for dinners. Shop HelloFresh Market for quick breakfast, wholesome snacks, and even desserts. You'll find everything you need to satisfy your cravings without stepping foot in the grocery store. That's my favorite part of HelloFresh. I am cooking HelloFresh fresh unfried chicken today. It's a family favorite over here. Crunchy, well-seasoned, moist, and tender, fried, oops, maybe not fried, unfried. Ooh, unfried, y'all. Delicious and healthy chicken. Go to HelloFresh.com slash TammyMac16 and use code TammyMac16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. Once again, that's HelloFresh.com slash TammyMac16 and don't forget to use the code TammyMac16 for 16 free meals across seven boxes and three free gifts. HelloFresh is definitely the business. Now let's get back to the business of being black with me, Tammy Mack. Welcome back to the business of being black with Tammy Mack. Today, the business of being black is abolishing the police. Please welcome the senior pastor at McCarthy Memorial Christian Church. Reverend Eddie Anderson is with us today. Retired LAPD Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey is on board. Consultant and artist at AVS Consulting, Ana Jelsey Velasco Sanchez. And the founder of Uncommon Sense Media Group and a member of Project 21, Craig Deleuze is here also. So does the current structure of the police focus on arrest and convictions more than public safety, Sergeant? I don't know if you can say that they focus more on arrest and conviction because by and large, patrol officers, who I believe are the backbone of every police department, aren't really concerned about convictions. And we know this to be true because how many times do we see police officers arrest a black man after they put hands on him uh, and it winds up being a DA reject as officers know, right? So they don't necessarily make an arrest with the mindset of I'm gonna put this person in jail for months and or years. Generally, it's about punishment. It's about inconvenience. It's about affecting those who don't have the financial wherewithal to get themselves out of a predicament that they find themselves in. And so- I don't think that it's particularly about convictions and incarceration day to day. Anna Jalsi. Whether or not it's their priority, I think absolutely is um, arrest. It's it's uh, meeting certain expectations, political um, expectations about what it looks like to maintain law and order in this country. Uh, if your expectation is that law enforcement is prioritizing your safety, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Yeah. So we've talked many times on this show about how the police are rooted in slavery. So can modern policing be separated from those roots, Craig? Uh, well, first of all, that's a false narrative that it was rooted in slavery. Law enforcement existed well before American chattel slavery ever existed. And it, 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 it dates back much, much further than that. So to say that that's the case, it, it, it's a false narrative. So it's a, it's a, it's a false premise uh, from which you ask the question. Um, I think one of the challenges that we have with law enforcement is that is a government bureaucracy. And how do we go about uh, about getting a government bureaucracy to efficiently and effectively uh, do its job? As we've seen in many major, major inner cities or major, many major cities, uh, bureaucracies tend to get uh, caught up in what things look like rather than what things are. And I think sometimes that's what winds up happening, even with law enforcement. Reverend Anderson. So... Brother Craig, I just I just want to say that I totally but listen, Reverend Anderson. We know that your solution is just to give everybody a hug and crime will go. Give everybody away. a hug. I'm saying we can <laughs> What I'm saying is that the narrative of policing is directly connected to in America to channel slavery and slave patrols. We cannot. That's not true. Fact that that's just not true. That's not fact. Absolutely true. Don't say it's fact because it's not. When I said so, Craig. When I said in. Uh, the trainings in Richmond, where you're from, in San Jose area, mm -hmm. with the police academy, because part of my other job is organizing, right? And so I mm -hmm. sat there and we talked to them about uh, the history of policing. And in that in that class, the police acknowledged that they came from slave patrols, but but then they said that they have changed the history. No, no, that that is that is a policy that is a policy, an inclusion policy that is implemented by politicians and is not historical fact. Craig. That we understand, 
Okay, every black person that's here knows that we try to save and protect that the initial self protect was around property. If you look at the initial constitution of the, doc, the, the document of this country, it was around property. It wasn't about personhood. So let's be real about what we're talking about, political science as well, right? And so that is exactly what we're talking about. Serve and protect property. What was the property? So, that so, you're, say, so you're saying that to serve and protect property didn't exist before chattel slavery in the United States. Property was- First of all, understand that chattel slavery existed in the United States before the United States existed. Existed. I'd love to so hear the end of the my, my, my point to you is this, is that if we're going to go back, we're going to go back to the history and the founding of law, of law enforcement and policing. It goes well before we started chattel slavery in the United States. Let me let Reverend Edison What you're saying is just not here, true. Craig. Let me let, me let Reverend that, but that, wait, that goes back to the point that I was making earlier about if we're putting information out there that is going to, that, that is done so deliberately with the intent of turning people against a segment of society or a profession, then we ought not be surprised when they look upon that segment of society or that profession with disdain. Well, Craig, Craig, let, let's Reverend Anderson get his point out. Well, we're Go talking ahead, Reverend Anderson. We talked about slave patrols. We talked about the first black people who were police officers. No, we're talking about law enforcement, not slave patrols. Hold that thought, Craig. Can I finish myself, please, Craig? So I'm talking about when we understand the history of policing, that they come from slave patrols. But we understand that what happened in America in the 1980s, we want to talk about it, was that we talked about the uh, military-industrial complex, which said we need to beef up our police department, give them war tactic weapons so they can police our communities in a way that is not in a way that is conducive to public safety, right? You look in books and you see the first black police officers that were in LA. They first went to churches and places like that. They were voted on by the people. They prayed for them. The people encouraged them because they were actually there for a safety component. When that turned into a militaristic component, talking about political agenda, which was to lock up as many black people as possible, look at the 80s, look at the uh, 80s and 90s and how the, the three strike laws and the gang uh, rules and gang enhancements included into our communities came to our society then the effectiveness of policing overgrew their purpose, right? Outgrew their purpose. So no longer were they there to provide safety to the people in the communities, right? No one's saying hate police officers. No one is saying that all police officers are bad. What we're saying is that the system as a whole has outgrown its usefulness and that we need to recreate something that actually enforces public safety so that when my when I walk down the street, I don't have to get arrested. When me and my brother was driving our car and they pull us over and they see a cane in the back because we were in Catholic and we stepped and they called that a beef stick, pulled out of our car and arrested us for driving while black. That is what we're talking about. When we say abolish the police, we're not saying get rid of it overnight. There's no system of abolition that happened overnight. We know that slavery did not leave overnight. It took 400 years to figure out how to get rid of slavery and it's still legal in jail in California. So Anna Jelsey wants to get in here. Go ahead, Anna Jelsey. Um, so I, I feel like I'm being, giving a little bit of a um, free publicity to my own husband, but he's a professor in criminal justice, and he works for a leading organization that does leadership um, for formerly incarcerated individuals. One of the things that he's done, and this, this is online, and the reason I'm referencing it is because it goes into much more detail than we could possibly do right now. And he shows from patterns of, or uh, shaping it over the uh, English system, he's from England, American system was formed, Reverend is right. It was first land barons and creating teams of people who were often criminals themselves to protect that land. That was then transformed into something utterly unlike it currently exi exists or did during the transatlantic slave trade. What we know as policing right now does have direct ties to the policing that was shaped or the um, uh, uh, during the slave trade. I think that's important to acknowledge. You can, um, if people want that information, I can share it, but. There's that point. There's one other point I want to name that's slightly unrelated to this, but I think it's important. We mentioned the defunding earlier. Yes, New York did have cuts to their um, budget, all of their citywide budget, not just their police force. They did that in 2021 because of the pandemic, just like police forces across the country did, along with all of their other um, services because of the pandemic. They have already reinstituted all of the funds that were cut for their 2023 budget and increased it. That was not an act of defunding as a result of anti-police bias. Well, well, no, they increased it because they saw such a dramatic increase in crime, in violent crime, in property crime. That's why they put the money back. Okay. That's another interpretation. 
Sergeant Dorsey. Well, listen, I mean, we could go back and back and forth about, you know, uh, did they defund? Did they refund? I'm, I'm more interested in, in, in resolving um, the problem that we have as we have it. Uh, I'm about I'm about resolution. I'm a realist. And while, you know, all of what has been talked about here would be helpful. And I, as I said, in addition to what what needs to really happen, what could change this yesterday is if the system that we have cause the officers to be held accountable when they violate their own policies and procedures. And part of that would be uh, getting rid of qualified immunity. That's that thing that shelters errant police officers. If officers were uh, decertified in terms of not being able to leave one department and go to another, not be given that gift of resignation when they use deadly force as a first resort mm -hmm. rather than a last resort and take the life of someone resign and then move on to another uh, agency and live to offend again. And so let's spend a little bit of time talking about what might fix this problem, because it's not one thing that's going to fix it. It's going to be multifaceted, and it's not going to happen overnight because it wasn't broken overnight. Well, so then let me ask you this. Uh, let me ask you this, Sergeant uh, Dorsey. What impact have measures like the body cameras and sensitivity training had on improving uh, none. <laughs> none. Oh, we just yeah. continue to see more of it. And that's why I'm a proponent for uh, holding officers accountable. Understand that every police chief serves at the pleasure of an elected official. Elected officials understand one thing and one thing only, and that's votes. And so if we don't make our voices heard, if we don't go uh, when there's an opportunity like right now in uh, as we get ready for a midterm election, we have a sheriff in Alex Villanueva who has within his L.A. County Sheriff's Department 17 internal gang members. These are deputies who go out and get tattoos to commemorate mm -hmm. beatings and murders of folks in certain areas. And Alex Villanueva, in my estimation, is probably an executioner or a Viking. I've been wanting someone to ask him to pull up his pants leg so we can see if he has a skull tattooed on his calf. When you have someone like that at the head of an organization, someone who grew up on that organization who refuses to hold what he calls an inquisition to root out those bad folks, we need to make sure that we're asking the right questions to get rid of somebody like an Alex Villanueva and put someone who values the lives of Black folks. So, um, Craig, Sergeant Dorsey, we know her position and she doesn't want the police abolished, but she certainly has uh, shared with us today a lot of internal issues that she's found within the police department. So is there some sort of reasoning or uh, reckoning here? Oh, most definitely. We do need to look at addressing some of these issues and, and rooting out the bad apples. And I think in many cases, you go to any police department, they'll tell you, yes, there are bad apples, people that need to be addressed. There's also a lot of ambiguity in terms of policy. Are there, are there bad apples, Craig, or is it a bad system? Mm -hmm. Uh, no, I'd say I'd say more there are bad apples. I, I know a number of folks in law enforcement. I tend to to work with them, whether it comes to uh, uh, understanding use of force training, the sort of training and policies that they have to to implement. And oftentimes what winds up happening is there is an ambiguity in the in the policy. So oftentimes what we need to do is we need to take a look at what are these policies that are in place? How are these this training taking place? One of the things people got to understand is the police academy, a huge chunk of it is about getting home alive, just get home alive. And, and I believe that in some cases, this could cause a, 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 a traumatic effect that would cause some law enforcement officers to overreact in some situations. I'm saying we need, we need to take a look at how we train officers. We need to look at ongoing training of officers, that we don't just train them in the academy and, and hope that they get it right when, they're at, when they stay out on the street. Okay, the we got to take a quick break right here. Craig, we'll take a quick break right here. Okay. I still believe you cannot train the heart and you cannot train intentions. Let's take a quick mm -hmm. break. Come right back on Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. Yeah. Welcome back to Business of Being Black with Tammy Mack. I am Tammy Mack. And the Business of Being Black today is abolishing the police, or not. Um, Anna Jelsey, instead of putting billions of dollars into policing, would that money uh, be better used by addressing poverty and income equality? Absolutely. It'd be better used by addressing many of the gaps in, in uh, services that we have in our country. I mean, our policing is a $115 billion project in the United States. Our CDC, about 10 
about 10. Our um, EPA, about 10. Paltry sums compared to what we put into uh, policing in this country. The same goes for any safety nets or services that are meant to protect people um, from the situations that put you in a position where crime feels like the only option. So should we like maybe exchange the police with military? We already are, if we're being honest. Many police across this country, not only in major cities, but in small towns, are equipped with military-grade equipment. They have grenade launchers. They have tanks. They have military gear to wear. We have already militarized our law enforcement. Mm. Reverend Anderson, what do you say to that? Absolutely. I agree. I mean, Dr. King said one of the triple evils was the military industrial complex. I think we've seen that played out with the police department and the fact that no president has decreased the military budget. No mayor in L.A. has really decreased the police budget. Right. We have three point one billion dollars that goes towards policing in our city when we know our police are not equipped to deal with the homelessness crisis or the mental issues, health crisis that's going around as, as well. So we should invest in affordable housing. We should invest in, in education. We should invest in uh, making sure that we have trauma centers in our, our communities as well, and then right-size the police budget as we can figure out what else we need to put in its place. You have talked about your church and clergymen that you've partnered with to invest in our community. So tell us about some of your projects and what you're working on, Pastor. Absolutely. So we have a program called Project Jubilee that uh, invests in 18, 24-year-olds who live in high-violence crime neighborhoods. We do a life skill course. We give them trauma. Um, uh, information as well as job training as well. We have a ceasefire that meets here every single Wednesday night at our church with uh, members from the community to talk about the violence in our communities and how we can interrupt that with violence interrupters uh, come and talk about that to our neighbors as well. And then we also do Freedom School, right? So Freedom School takes on K through five-year-olds and we train them and make sure they don't have reading laws because we know that third uh, grade reading level determine whether you go to prison or not. So those are some of the things that we're doing uh, here in the city of Los Angeles. So, Craig, if the police don't stop crime, uh, why does our media push a different narrative or vice versa? Well, that's not true. The police actually do stop crime. Um, Here's the thing. There's got to be consequences in the criminal justice system. Uh, We started to see uh, from the 1990s all the way through, all the way for the next 20 years from the early 90s, we saw a significant year after year decrease in crime uh, throughout the country. Uh, Then in states like California and um, and in other states, I I can speak to California specifically, we started to see in the early 2010s a change in policies, uh, taking crimes and decriminalizing them, uh, taking prisoners who were in state prison and putting them in county prison and thus having to release uh, prisoners from county prisons. As we went through that process and then we started to work on zero on no bail. Uh, what we started to then see around the mid-2010s was an increase in crime. And we've seen a steady increase in particular in violent crime in the state of California. Now, they want to blame it on guns, but gun, gun laws have gotten only stricter during that time. The one thing that did not get as strict, the one thing that did get looser was our criminal justice, was, was our laws and whether or not we decided we were going to punish criminals. So I think it's not law enforcement is not the issue when it comes to solving crime. It's making sure that crime has committing crime has consequences. So do you think the media plays a good plays the good guy or bad guy when it comes to police? Oh, they definitely play the bad guy. They they look for opportunities to make law enforcement look bad uh, because that's what sells. That's what the politicians are telling them. Um, They come in with a narrative and they look for stories and promote stories that promote that narrative. Well, I want to promote you, Craig. So uh, you've got many projects. Please tell us which one you want to speak on today. Well, today, the one I'd in particular like to speak on is a a new project we're going to be launching here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, It's called the New Underground Railroad. Uh, The whole point is to share diverse perspectives on on various different social and political issues. Too often, what we're seeing is, is that the Black community is treated like a monolith, like we believe one way. This show right here, you have no idea how rare what you do on this show actually is. Will you bring in people from both sides, give people an equal opportunity to to have their voices heard. Uh, But anyway, this is a project that I'm working on with Project 21, uh, which is a group out of Washington, D.C. that once again uh, promotes uh, promotes, uh, uh, alternative perspectives in the Black community on political and social issues, uh, as well as with uh, 2A News, which is a group, uh, which is a news website uh, that promotes uh, Second Amendment-related news, as well as other political news. 
Thank you for that. And I appreciate the compliment on the show. My producers do a very good job at making that happen and uh, will continue to show different perspectives of uh, the black side of the world. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and we look forward to your project as well. Anna Jelsey, are police a threat to vulnerable people, including people of color, people with cognitive disabilities and even poor white people? Absolutely, um, because there are so many examples we can speak about. Um, I'll just use one that you've used or you've named, which is those with mental health um, struggles. They are um, 10 times more likely to be victimized by the police. So that means one in four people who are um, uh, killed by the police, they are people with mental illness. Um, so if, if there are trainings, um, as Sergeant, Sergeant Dorsey referenced, um, they're obviously inadequate. Um, I think that I hope that we can at least agree to that much. Um, and I do think it's important to point out that the worst case scenario is death at the hands of the police, but there's so many other examples of emotional um, and physical harm. Um, so, and yeah, it begins with acknowledging that it goes without any risk to them. I mean, we were talking about, um, this is the last anecdote I'll give, we were talking about um, the idea of uh, doing other types of reform, like giving trainings or sensitivity trainings or body cans and things of that sort. That's absolutely, that happens. And it's shown to have incremental, if any, um, impact. And it's sometimes shown to have really awful results. For example, in Chicago, when an officer accidentally killed a black grandmother and he had been, he had been someone who had gone through all of the trainings that we point at and say, this will solve our problem. He went through those trainings. So you know how he responded when he was in trouble or uh, being, uh, uh, people were asking to him to get in trouble for, for, for doing this. He did, he decided to sue the city because he felt he was inadequately trained. That was his response. Well, the training was bad. I wouldn't have killed grandma if the training hadn't been bad. Interesting. Interesting. Tell us about uh, the exhibit at the Venezuelan Embassy in Washington, D.C., please. Sure. Thank you. Um, so as you mentioned at the beginning, I am an artist. Um, I'm also a Venezuelan. I was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and uh, my country is experiencing a great deal of um, strife and pain right now. Uh, all of the immigrants that you hear about who are being bussed in from states like Arizona and Texas um, are 65% uh, of them to 70% are Venezuelans, and they end up here in D.C. And so Tesaros Lugaris is the art exhibit that is happening at the Venezuelan embassy right now. Two of my paintings are in it. Um, and a large percentage of the funds that are raised um, from the sale of those paintings will go to support uh, other Venezuelans and refugees who often are victimized at the hands of law enforcement, not just ICE. Ah, great. So I want to do a, a lightning round. It's my favorite part of the show where I get uh, to hear you make your final stance on your perspectives. I love it. I love it. I love it. So let's get into a lightning round right now. Can we get it? And bam. We got it just like that. <laughs> so Reverend Anderson, please tell me, should the police be abolished and why or why not? Yes, I think currently as it stands that they are not fully uh, equipped for all of the things that they are required to do. So we should create something new in its place. You keep saying cre create something new and I keep picturing you with these uh, grandmothers out here giving bear hugs saying, don't do that, baby. Don't do that, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sergeant Dorsey, should we abolish the police? Yay, nay, and why or why not? No, we need police officers. We have a system that's imperfect, and there are uh, ways in which we can certainly uh, make it better. But if we don't get involved and get engaged, if we aren't uh, joining these police departments, no matter how hard they make it for us to get on, if we are not uh, attending civic meetings and uh, town hall meetings and talking to prospective police chiefs, sheriffs, and commissioners, and not getting on these juries, uh, avoiding summons when we get them. Uh, if we don't do all of those things, we're going to continue to have the same problem that we're having now. Yeah, you make some very valid points and definitely give out. You said you're, you know, you're about solutions. I think you gave us a few right there. That's what uh, I do. Okay, so uh, let's find out here. Craig, we know where you stand. 
Right. I don't we believe that we should. We know what you're saying, but let's, let's yeah. get it in one more time. Abolish the police, yes or no, and why or why not? I do not support defunding the police. I support refunding the police. I believe we need to make sure they have the resources necessary to do their jobs, resources necessary for training, resources necessary for recruitment of good quality candidates. Someone mentioned that earlier, and I'm a big believer in the fact that we need to make sure we're hiring the right people. But also, and this is most importantly, if we get rid of the police... Uh, then the only people that win are those who seek to victimize the people in our community, the criminals. Mm, very good point. Anna Jelsey, for or against abolishing the police? I'm very much for abolishing the police. And I, to be very clear, that is an incremental process. That's not a tomorrow all the doors need to be chained. Uh, we need to be uh, logical about this and realistic about this. It means the reallocation of funds, excuse me, and it means a reimagination of solutions. And so, yes, this is going to be a, a drawn-out process. It is a doable process. And a many yeah. Re Reverend Anderson said that to abolish the police doesn't look like the purge, but for some reason, when I hear <laughs> abolish the police, I see the purge. <laughs> I, I see it. Um, in one word, in one word, this is a tough one, but in one word, how can we rebuild our police force in one word? We'll start with you, Sergeant Dorsey. Join it. Join it. Join. Woo. Woo. Anna Jalisi. Uh, don't. That would be my word. Don't rebuild it. Reverend Anderson? Imagination. Okay. And Craig, you have the final word. That would be accountability. There it is. The business of being black with Tammy Mack on Fox Soul. Bye, y'all. Thank you. The future. So cool, right? All of those amazing new innovations that are going to make life even better. Like, okay, wouldn't it be great if your car could change color to match your mood? Oh, wait. No, to match your outfit. Ooh, I think I would like that. Buick is thinking about the future every day. A future built around you with super smart Buick EVs that can make your life even better. And soothing spa-like interiors that can leave you feeling relaxed and refreshed. Wait, is that eucalyptus? Oh, believe me, the future smells incredible. And it's all out there waiting. So let's go to the future together. Want to go? Join us at Buick.com slash future. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Stay cool this summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.